On this week's Mocha Live podcast, I have on a brilliant mind who also happens to be one of my closest friends. Our guest is the esteemed Jake Feigenbaum, longtime crypto guy, Solana Maxi, NFT collector, and as it would happen, the man who introduced me to NFTs in the first place. Whereas I've always been drawn to art and aesthetics, Jake has had a penchant for finances, markets, broader I don't know, business intrigue, that sort of thing. It was really wonderful sitting down for this conversation with Jake. He pulls me towards topics and questions in a sphere I rarely get to touch. Our conversation concerns in large part Solana. And while that blockchain has somewhat of a bad rap in the Ethereum world, it's the place which bore both Jake and I. And we use that as a jumping off point to discuss blockchain culture in general. As in, is there a blockchain culture in general? Are different cultures really as segmented onto individual chains as it seems? Why might that be? And I don't know, is there anything we can do about it? Why don't you come find out on this week's Moga Live podcast? Good evening, everybody. It is 5 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, my name is Max Cohen. I'm the lead writer for the Museum of Crypto Art. It is, I don't know, 80 degrees and cloudy and kind of rainy in uh, beautiful central New Jersey. And this is the Mocha Live podcast coming at you with a really special guest today. One of my best friends in the whole world, oh. Mr. Jake Feigenbaum. How are we, Jake? Doing well, you know, another, another Wednesday in the books, but excited to be here with you, Maxwell. So for those of you who don't know, and I don't know why you would know, uh, this is the man who got me into NFTs. Call it February 2021. We were losing lots of money investing in Top Shot at the absolute height of Top Shot fever. Um, come August, we were investing in Solana PFP projects, which I've mentioned I'm a recovering uh, Solana PFP addict, recovering and relapsing. Um, and so I thought like, there's no better person to talk to today about kind of the culture across different chains. So something that I noticed right when I kind of got into the Museum of Crypto Art and the Ethereum NFT crypto art world is that there is like no overlap between the world that I saw on Solana and the world that I saw on Ethereum. Different aesthetics, different influencers, different kind of vibes, different priorities, different like areas of import. We did and we have briefly seen the incursion of figures from Ethereum to Solana. Uh, Kath Samard, the landscape photographer, she released a project on Solana and Patrick Amadon, the uh, digital artist, like the glitch artist, he did some work on Solana as well. And then there, the situations on the reverse side, right, where like D-Gods bridged over from Solana into Ethereum. But I don't know, maybe it's unkind to suggest, but all of these situations seem kind of more like publicity stunts than like genuine overtures of culture, right? Um, and I think that's because or there's a little like cultural overlap to begin with. And it's antagonistic sometimes. I think Ethereum folks often like to malign Solana. They say it's like VC backed and it's gone dark and it's like a, you know, it's just one of these chains that's going to come and, and boom and go. And then Solana folks talk about Ethereum as being like outdated and slow. Um, so we've talked about the relationship between blockchains on previous podcasts, but uh, I think it'd be really interesting to take this from a discussion on Solana and Ethereum specifically and kind of work out outward. So my first question to you, Jake, you're really embedded in Solana um, NFTs and Solana culture. Um, you work with like Solana projects uh, quite often. Like, How would you describe the culture of 
like the Solana NFT world. Yeah. So before jumping into that, we, we do going back to what you said earlier, we do have a quite the skill for investing in things at the top and uh, right before they're going to crash. So yeah, I'm great at it. Yeah. yeah I'm glad, glad we found that to connect on, but um, yeah. So <laughs> going back to uh, the Solana culture, I say I came into Solana pretty early on, like prior, right before the NFT boom um, and kind of, what I saw about it and what, what I've really fallen in love with with it over the years was kind of this mindset of, of what they, everyone on Solana considers chewing glass. Um, and with that, I, I think it, it, it really falls back on kind of like this idea of like trying to move really fast and break things um, while you're doing it to try and kind of figure out these new use cases um, and figure out kind of like new ways to apply crypto and, and onboard new users. Um, and I think like you said, like it comes down to a lot of the culture comes down to kind of like the foundations of both blockchains, right? Whereas like we talk about nonstop how like Ethereum is much more focused on like security and being that kind of like monolith blockchain that is able to like, you know, is always up, all those kind of things. Whereas Solana has over the years been much more focused on scalability and the ability to move fast. And I think that really those mindsets and how they're originally built also fall down to the culture of the NFT projects, of the art within the ecosystem, the influencers, things like that. Um, so it's really, think, yeah. yeah. Well, I was just gonna say like Ethereum also has the benefit of being around longer. And right. like, I think one thing that I think is really interesting is just when I examine the art world of Solana, right? right? Which is, seems like it's pretty sequestered in like exchange.art as a platform. And uh, they do a really great job kind of bringing art that considers itself art to a blockchain where most of the projects are, I think not super art focused. Yeah. Um, but I, th I feel like it's, you know, the crypto art in, on Ethereum has been going back. You can trace it back to 2016 with the rare Pepe's, but it really got its, I, I feel like it's real start in 2017 and 2018. So it's had you know five, at least five years to kind of develop its own kind of like niche cultures within the Ethereum ecosystem. You know, there was time for like DeFi to develop and then become its kind of like own niche time for art to develop and become its own niche. Same thing with like PFP projects It kind of came into an ecosystem where, a lot of the actors and a lot of the builders were comfortable kind of doing things in their niche where there's overlap. In, in my experience on Solana, just as an example, there, I haven't really felt that, right? There's a lot of, everyone is kind of double dipping into everything, right? right. There's this one kind of stew culture um, as opposed to there being these like micro cultures. Because I think a lot of people in my like mocha crypto art world would not necessarily, they don't necessarily vibe with the, sporadic scattered like influencer type cultures that are also in ethereum and yeah. i wonder like do you think that solana has that kind of like fractured culturalization yet or is it like i said more of this like one big stew yeah yeah, yeah. it's an interesting point it's it's i would definitely say it leans back on kind of like the nature of of the size of the two ecosystems to an extent as well where it's ethereum's big enough where there there are these different subsections in my mind of the art world the the PFP NFT world, the DeFi world. And although Solana does have each of those sections in my mind, um, there's a lot more overlap just because there's not as many users going around within the ecosystem, not as many builders, uh, things like that. But as we've seen over the years, like it takes some time to grow out and looking at the ecosystem now, even a year ago, six months ago, um, I, I do see Solana kind of flowing into that same, same pattern that Ethereum has. But that's uh, interesting though, because like theoretically, uh, with a lot of these blockchains, I mean, everything that kind of comes up against Ethereum, whether it's Avalanche, whether it's Polygon, whether it's Solana, like the gist is that 
you know, there's so much, so many less barriers to actually like transacting, actually interacting because of the, the, the speed, because of the lower gas fees. So yeah. I mean, why, why do you think Ethereum has maintained its hegemony as this like er blockchain? Is it just age? Is it just that people are already embedded here? Um, yeah, because yeah. that's the, the cry from all of these blockchains, right? That right. The, is like basically this like, I don't know, <laughs> pained question of like, why are people not coming here where the transaction speed is better, where right. you can do more, less clunky, um, where the wallets are like more polished. Like all the Solana wallets are really polished, Phantom and Backpack and such. And what do you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's a good question. I think it's the nature of kind of like crypto art, NFTs, which is the space I'm more familiar with. And even just blockchain in general is like this idea of historical provenance, I think is, is ingrained in so many of these ideas. Uh, especially like things like collectibles, things like that. Um, So it makes sense to me that like almost like from the Ethereum point of view, people, users there really see all these collectibles they've been building up, all this culture that's been built up with historical provenance being such a significant factor in that. It makes Mm -hmm. sense to me why people would, would stay in what they're familiar with. And like the, the entire value set of what they've been built is on top of this historical provenance of, to go and like essentially not erase it, but to an extent erase it because like all we're talking about is databases, right? So if you have this entire historical provenance database built out and then you're like, let's just hop to a different one. It, it, I see how those things don't necessarily vibe. Um, but I'd say that's definitely a piece of it. Um, but then also like kind of going back to what I said before, it, it, I think it comes down to like a, to an extent, a fundamental mindset of kind of, people always talk about the, the, the trade-offs within blockchains and where Ethereum is much more focused on this security settlement layer where I know that when I, regardless of how much I pay for this transaction or how much it takes to get through, like I know once it's through, it's going to go through. Um, whereas on Solana, it's almost in this like stage of, I, I'm, I'm trying to get as many transactions through as possible. I'm trying to get as many people using this t- technology as possible because if we don't have that many people using the tech, it's not worth nearly as much as it would be otherwise. And I, and I mean, especially with like considering itself a settlement layer at like at, that as Ethereum does, I think it's fascinating, maybe even obvious that Ethereum culture would consider itself kind of like central amongst this, I don't know, this like jungle of different blockchains. Like there is definitely a, a haughtiness to Ethereum. And I don't say that in like a negative way necessarily. I don't know how much you know about like the Tezos ecosystem, but Tezos is like oftentimes considered like, it's like this little brother of Ethereum. Yeah. It's where there's a lot of great art, um, like a glut of great art. And a lot of people who collect art and make art on Ethereum do so on uh, Tezos as well. But there's yeah. more of a, at least from my perspective, more of a legitimization to everything right. that's on ethereum and obviously i'm no artist i don't really mint anything and by that i mean i don't mint anything on either platform or either blockchain rather so it's hard for me to like really make that case with any kind of i don't know legitimacy but there's just something about minting even if it's like an open edition if you're minting it on ethereum there's a a grandeur to that that just feels like it's lacking elsewhere and i think that that's probably why you know a project like d gods which I think people who spend a lot of time on Twitter know that it kind of has these deserved or not delusions of grandeur. Um, 
a grandeur that I'm not sure anyone would necessarily want. But nevertheless, it makes sense that they would come over to Ethereum because, uh, you know, especially when it comes to like PFP projects, everything right. that isn't on Ethereum is like a little brother. Right. And I feel like the same way with art, like the two artists I mentioned before, Kath Samard and Patrick Amadon, they're, they're amazing artists and they have like huge followings and a lot of admiration on Ethereum, which makes it interesting that they would move over to another blockchain for even a moment. I like. I, I would love to get into their heads and, and ask them why. Uh, on a different note, like as somebody who is deeply embedded within the Solana ecosystem, what does ETH culture look like to you? Right? Is yeah. there like are there noticeable differences? Not on like the base layer of the technology, but on the I don't know the kind of attitudes of the people who use it. Like, what do you think? Yeah. Um. I. I'm not. I'm not sure if there really is. At least that's my my perspective. I. I come from the position of, I would say, at least me being in the world of kind of more of the PFP kind of style NFTs, um, kind of those kind of groups. I think there's more that keeps everyone similar than like uh, breaks us different Differentiates them, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the sense that most of the driving value, I think, of people who are in, whether it's, you name it, uh, Bored Apes or De Gods or whatever PFP project you want to name is is this idea of like the the speculation aspect of it, the collectability aspect of it, and I don't think that necessarily changes uh, between chains. Um, what what I do see maybe change is w- what they value, right? Whereas on Ethereum, the things that are most possible are like with all the money that's in Ethereum are throwing these massive events and throwing these over the top fashion labels like all these this stuff. having like more like higher minded possibilities of these projects i mean even like you know even out, outside of like just the pfp thing like right you don't see artists who don't mint on ethereum having collaborations with sotheby's or christie's or you know these big fashion houses right the louis vuittons or whoever are like whenever some big company generally like a yep. web 2 company is dipping their toe into blockchain it seems yep. to always be through the lens of either Ethereum or people who are on Ethereum. And it's yeah. like giving a legitimacy to that idea of that, uh, that it is the like Hot blockchain, blockchain, exactly. Hot blockchain, H-A-U-T. I don't know how to pronounce that. Exactly. And to an extent, like it, it makes sense why, right? Like that's where the most users are. And these brands that are coming in, what they're looking for are users. Like they're not, they're not necessarily looking for the most innovative tech. Like they're not, they're not familiar enough with blockchain in general. Like generally they're leaning on another professional in order to, to tell them what to do. And generally their biggest goal is finding their consumers within this tech. And mm-hmm. it makes sense to go after Ethereum. Whereas, so like I said, like kind of Ethereum uses those benefits and kind of like pushes those things forward. Whereas on Solana, I would say there's much more of a focus in these ideas of like staking or um, being able to like trait swap, things like that. Like these small microtransactions are where the PFP meta moves towards on Solana. So while they're both rooted in my mind in speculation and the reason people kind of like came into it, a lot of people was one, a love for the tech, this new crypto tech, but also gambling, speculation, all those kind of like massive aspects that crypto has. I think what what people value on either chain and what like drives that speculation is what what, what is mainly different. Well, you know, it's interesting, right? And I think this goes back in what we were saying before about Ethereum's had a much longer time to develop these kind of niches within itself, but there's, 
there's a lot of hostility within crypto art to the PFP meta and to the collectible meta. Yeah. Uh, on Solana, there is not really, and perhaps it's because there is no like real segmentation between these different like quote unquote industries, yep. but there's, everyone does everything, right? Everyone's yep. interested in everything. And perhaps that is just the nature of being like this nation blockchain. You know, yep. I think back to 2017, which obviously I didn't see, but I've heard a lot about with like CryptoPunks and like three things were happening at once, right? It was CryptoPunks were being released and like the first kind of, crypto art transactions uh, on Ethereum were happening. And then um, Dada.art, who um, they pioneered like smart contract encoded royalties, like that was happening all at once. And yes, these were three kind of separate innovations, right? You had like smart contract innovations, you had the first PFP, so the first like real cultural innovations uh, and then art, but there was no real antagonism between them because they hadn't like developed cultural ideals in differing directions. You can see obviously how there would be ideals with like scarcity and art would come up against a, a completely obliterative attitude when talking about like collectibles that really have their first and second priority being like value, right? A lot of artists are naturally, as they've been throughout history, are going to push back on the idea of like valuing their art at something. Um, yep. There's like this high profile story. Do you know the story of the Lost Robbies? No. The, so there's this guy, Robbie Barrett, he goes by Videodrome. He uh, made these AI generated works. He's been doing it for years. Um, they're called the AI generated nudes. Um, yeah. And they're these like grotesque, I don't know. They're like these bodily skin color, like, you know, these like mottled peach and red, like just disgusting kind of creations. And um, he kind of disillusioned with the space, like yeah. left blockchain on the whole and specifically like left the lost Robbies or he left the AI generated nudes because he didn't like how the pieces, when they were talked about, they were always talked about with their valuation as opposed to their aesthetics. And of course they're like super valuable. There's only like 40 or 50 of them. Um, There was this whole like moment that they had a couple weeks ago where people were debating like their artistic value, but that's neither here nor there on Solana. Those attitudes haven't had time to develop. I mean, there's only been an NFT world on Solana for, we're coming up on what, two years, right. it's simply not enough time. And if you think about yeah. how long um, crypto art would have had to develop on Ethereum in 2019, like that was still the early days, the golden days before an incursion of, I would say like 80 to 90% of all of the artistry there. I think what, what, at least how I see it, why that makes so sense to me is with the nature of it being so, all of this being so speculative, right? Like there's no way to really put a value on a board ape, right? Or put a value on this crypto art, like create a DC, like a cash flow statement to figure out how much this thing should be worth. So mm-hmm. one of the most, the, the, the driving aspects behind any of these assets is just the amount of eyeballs that you can get on it, right? The amount of the amount of people talking about crypto art on Twitter, the amount of people talking about this new PFP project that's going to launch that you name it. And while within Ethereum, like, there are these big enough sections, whereas if the PFP people are able to pull in some of those crypto art people into their world. Yeah, it's like this fucking OPEPN bullshit that, you know, we were talking about earlier and, you know, it was like the checks thing where it's like, oh, this project's going to come out of nowhere. And what do you know? Beeple's going to be talking about it. And what do you know? Like these three thread people are going to be talking about it. And oh, a couple of like the high profile artists, they're going to get involved. And suddenly, yeah, it's touching all of these people and it's touching all these like different like, you know, cultural, I don't know, like tunnels. And yep. each one is like lending it further legitimacy to this thing, which is like inherently, we don't have to touch on this yep. any further, but it's, it's odd. No, but exactly that. And in, in, in doing that, it's able to 
pull the eyes of you being someone who works at Mocha, you and plenty of other people within the crypto art space. And that's a big enough space. Whereas pulling volume from there makes sense to me while, why they're going after it. Whereas on the Solana side of things, like if a new PFP is going to launch them trying to pull people out of the crypto art space on Solana is not going to move the needle that much in my opinion. Whereas Mm -hmm. them trying to recruit in ETH money or ETH people, ETH eyes to bring and invest in their project, like that's going to move the needle a lot. So whereas Solana is like able to, I think by growing the pie helps everyone. Whereas Mm -hmm. something on ETH, sometimes it's like, you don't necessarily need to grow the pie, but you can steal from another piece of the pie. And the same thing happened on Solana, I would say too, when Solana was pumping and when we were at $200 instead of 20, you saw a lot more projects going after each other, trying to steal those pieces pieces of the pie instead of being focused on growing the pie as a whole. Well, let's talk about this pie as a whole, because I think that this is like the intro to the larger conversation, right? That there is this culture on Solana, there is this culture on Ethereum. They are different in these like necessary ways that are reflective of their history, reflective of the actual metrics of the blockchain. But I'm curious to you, because I think that like when I first invested in cryptocurrency back in 2017, you know, I didn't know anything about the cultures of either. I just bought some Bitcoin, bought some Ethereum when we bought Solana in the beginning of 2021 or the end of 2020, like there was no real idea about culture. It was kind of looking at this whole flat market or market that was flat, at least in terms of its individual characteristics and kind of trying to pick out differentiators, but they were not differentiated on their face, right? Like when you go into Coinbase, when you go into PseudoSwap, whatever, it's just coins, right? So my question to you, and I think that the question that no one's really answered yet in general, and I'm sure we're not going to either, is like, does the blockchain itself have an underlying culture or like an underlying set of interests or is is there is it forever schism based on where people enter into it and like the visual metaphor i have in my head is um from wreck it ralph there's like this sequence where he goes maybe it's the second one i don't know but he goes into the internet and like all of these websites and ent- like empty out into the central chamber and that's yep. like this like heart of the internet obviously that is a cartoon so yeah. that doesn't exist. <laughs> but like, does that exist for blockchain where all of these different starting areas yeah. are basically like pushing people towards this like centralized undercurrent of a place? It's it's an interesting question. And it's, it's especially interesting because all everyone ever talks about is this idea of like when blockchain goes mainstream, you won't even know that you're using it in the background. And it's just going to be the system that's running in the background. No one, like when you're using a website, you don't know what, HTML is or HTTPS, what those kind of things are, and I'll be running in the background. Where where I see it differentiates with blockchain is kind of what we were talking on before in how they're built and what they emphasize, right? Um, at the end of the day, when we, whenever, fingers crossed, we do hit that point of mass adoption, I think it will be a similar experience to how we see, how you saw tokens on Coinbase, right? Because as someone who's not deep in the ecosystem, like it doesn't, they're never going to learn enough to be able to differentiate between the two. Mm-hmm. But I think the path to get there, the, the cultures are important because what they emphasize and, and, and the problems that they're looking to solve, I think are to an extent core to how the blockchain themselves are built, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, but I think like there's something not deeper than that, but 
like there there is the use case of blockchain and i think most people even if blockchain does have some mass adoption like there's still going to be very segmented interest in blockchain culture right, right? because to exist in this ecosystem is different than just touching the software you could buy a tesla with bitcoin but that didn't necessarily mean that you like cared about bitcoin right. values right and i think that that's probably how this is going to end up looking that like the crypto world at large is going to continue to be niche right and it's going to continue to have its own kind of set of like anti-establishment anti-authoritarian like free movement of people and goods essentially like kind of ethos and it's going to want to defy centralization at any point i mean i i almost think like mass adoption in a sense is anti-crypto right because like so much of what I see from the crypto art side, especially as it relates to the attitudes towards PFP projects and, and not just the PFP projects itself, but you think about like Yuga and uh, actually let's go back to this Opepin idea, right? So like this Opepe, whatever it's called, this like project comes out and then OpenSea is parroting it and Beeple is parroting it and yep. these thread people are parroting it, parroting it and like all of these like powerful actors within the space are kind of like glomming onto it. Yep. And there's been intense pushback from some folks who are like, this is centralization. This stinks of yeah. some kind of like centralized idea. And even just the idea of, I don't know, Ethereum being adopted by you know, JP Morgan as it's like settlement well, layer for blockchain yeah, transactions. Exactly, right. It's like we're, everyone's excited bridging that to like, just like financial wise, like yeah. everyone, the, the talk of the town now is uh BlackRock ETF, Fidelity ETF. Whereas like this whole thing was built on, take down Robinhood, take down Fidelity. And it's like that exact mindset just occurring at like the, the art level. But sorry, continue with your thought. No, but when I mean, we've talked about this in the past before, yeah. right? Like one of the things you see a lot, like there's this, um, there's this, I don't know what you would call it, an art agency collective, something rather called um, Artists of the Millennium, which yeah. is like um, this guy, Vincent Bandeau, put together a list of like the 50, like highest selling artists. And was like, hey, we'll rep- represent you. And so now you have, this upper echelon of artists who've gotten there for good reasons, who've gotten there for bad reasons, like no judgment on any artists, but it's this like centralizing of this totally arbitrary upper echelon of artists and all of these different institutions, whether it's Chrissy's, whether it's Sotheby's, whether it's this Vincent Van Doe character, they are lending more credibility to the idea of this hierarchy being set in stone. And of course there's tons of people struggling in crypto art. There's tons of people who've been here for longer, who have, you know, more varied art careers who are more technically accomplished, who haven't had that same success. And of course they're really raging against it. And I yeah. think the same kind of thing would happen if any of these blockchains were to be adopted by anywhere. I mean, I'm sure there was pushback when Nike bought Artifact right. saying like, well, why Artifact? Because they launched one successful PFP project. And again, yeah. it's just like any time that there's a, a large actor that comes in and anoints through support, through finance, one actor or one set of actors like that seems to excite the rest of the blockchain culture into right. saying like no this is not what we do it's funny because it's like you're it's it's tough to separate like there are still societal norms and like patterns that have occurred throughout history that like are not suddenly going to be unraveled because we came up with this new tech right like all this talk of like whether it's like decentralization flattening out, but like then you're seeing these same exact patterns of people rising to power and this hierarchy forming. And it's, it's human nature for these things to form. Um, Where I disagree is that I understand your point in that it's, it's counter to what current users see blockchain as and what 
what we see the ecosystem, what we value within the ecosystem today. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's necessarily counter to what the, the, the immense value that from like a financial sense that we put on this tech and the possibilities. Like, I don't think going against the culture in a way really makes it that the tech isn't as valuable and like all the things that have been figured out within the crypto space and discovered within the crypto space aren't going to be as valuable when it goes to mass adoption, if that makes sense. I see, I mean, obviously like we were much younger during the boom of the internet phase, but that was also in in my mind, like kind of a counter movement. Um, and like at the time it was, a, it was a very niche group of people that were using it and building upon it and probably had their own set of ideals of how this was going to change the world. And it did change the world, maybe not in the way they thought it was, but it moved it, I think, along the spectrum closer to the world that they were trying to build than what it was mm-hmm. before. And I see crypto doing the same exact thing as that. It's not while people talk about it in all these like idealistic ways that it's going to forever change things as we know it. I think it will. But human nature is still human nature. And, and we're going to fall yeah. into the that we did before. Well, that's also, I think, a prescient point because even though the internet has been thoroughly like centralized and now run through the you know the fang companies like through that organ grinder, I think that the human NPC thing, which came out came about last week or had its like moment last week with right. um, what was her name Pinky Baby Doll, the yeah. ice cream so good yeah. uh, woman, like that rep- that to me is like okay, that's the beating heart of the internet, right? Yeah. It's it's weird, it's niche, it's not for mass adoption. It's not for mass interest, but it still exists here. And I guess that that's probably what's going to end up happening with blockchain to come is that there will always be this segment that probably self segments, it self segments itself away from the greater blockchain adoption as this schism kind of formally takes place. And I imagine it will be, I mean, I hope it will be easier for a lot of folks, especially in like the art world as that happens uh, to maintain some like hegemony over these larger, I don't know, economic forces, because, you know, some of the advancements here, like the distribution, the ease of find, uh, ease of discovery, like it, it really is quite revolutionary, but it does Definitely. seem and, like, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, I honestly, like, at least in the limited industries I've worked in, like that, that's almost like the, the nature of counterculture, early adopters within really like any industry, right? Whether you look at like something like fashion, where it's like, you have the, the what many would consider like the craziest types of fashion and the the most on edge like versions of like streetwear where like they start off and they're in their own niche culture and slowly they're kind of like setting the stage for what's cool and 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 pulling the, the mainstream culture closer to them and like as it gets pulled closer to them they pull even farther away you know what i mean like they're always setting yeah. that and that's almost what i see crypto culture now as doing i mean maybe it's gonna end up like like somebody on twitter said the other day that uh eve saint laurent just Mm -hmm. came out with a nirvana band t-shirt for four thousand dollars and it's like okay that's kind of like the fate that kurt cobain and the other like anti-sellout artists of the 90s were scared about so maybe like it does just rot the culture from the inside maybe like there is no ability and i don't mean to sound dour because i'm not dour but like maybe this is just the fate of new technology is there's going to be a culture there and the culture is going to be obliterated by mass adoption or at least going to be segmented away and segmented away. And there will always be forces that are going to come in, take advantage of it and offer products, attitudes, influences that are 
totally counterintuitive to the original reason for its adoption because once it's like art itself right once you create something and put it into the world you have no idea how it's going to be react I mean, the pepe meme is the perfect example the pepe yeah. meme was created by matt fury uh i think in like the early 2010s and then it was just like used all over like meme boards and then it became a like right-wing dog whistle and yeah. then crypto art has seemed to have a real interest and has seems to have had success in like taking that that symbol back so you can't possibly predict the way that these things are going to go the original uh, quote-unquote culture of pepe it has no relation to the iterations of pepe that happened in the interim when it's like again you know xenophobic uh racist tendencies and then you know it's blockchain it's blockchain anthemic pedestal now but it's it's that it's right it's like it's i don't think the the future of mainstream adoption is everyone coming to like all our friends my mom whoever it is coming to the conclusion that oh right like the financial system as it is today is messed up for so many different levels like we need bitcoin to solve all these problems like it, mm-hmm. not everyone's going to come to the same conclusions that us deep into the culture came to but what they hopefully do come to with mainstream adoption is like moving mainstream ideals, like the common beliefs more towards these ideas that we've been pushing for and that we've been building toward because it is better for everyone in this world. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Definitely. Okay. We're going to move aside from finance yeah. for a second. I want to talk again about aesthetics. Yeah. Um, what do you think the aesthetics of Solana are? Is there an aesthetics of Solana? Hmm. And if you don't have an answer, I have an answer. No, I, I'd love to hear your answer. Well, something that I noticed really early on. So there's like two main guys who I think characterize the art in Solana. And it's uh, Ben Bashaw and mm-hmm. John Lay, right? Yep. And they're very similar in terms of their aesthetic output. Ben Bashaw works on, he does some work on Ethereum on Super Rare now. Um, but they're both like comic book inspired, right? I know right. that John Lay worked in comics. I don't know if Ben Bashaw did, but it's very cell shaded. It's very like, it's very artificial. It's very comic booky. It's very inspired by animated TV shows. You know, I think back to like watching WB Kids on Saturday mornings. Like, that's the attitude. And it seems like a lot of the PFP projects on Solana, which dominate it, are kind of echoing that as well. They are cartoonish and they are not trying to be anything but cartoonish. Yeah. Um, you know, I think on Solana, not on Solana, I'm sorry, on Ethereum. I don't know if it's fair to say that it doesn't do that, but because the PFP market on Ethereum is just a segment of the larger market, it feels unfair to characterize all of that under the same umbrella. But on Solana, it feels a little bit more Catholic. Um, Mm -hmm. I know nothing about Polygon or Avalanche actual aesthetics. I know that Tezos is dominated by generative art, but again, like maybe that helps opening open things up for you, but like, do you agree with my, no, yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that take. And I would say Ben and John Lay are, are that style of art definitely does dominate, not just like the art space, but I think when you look at like the high quality PFP generative space too, is like a mix of that kind of art or really pixel art. Like there's nothing really, there's not too much variability, variability like in between there. Like, yeah, there are some big projects, but but those those styles of art dominate it. And it's like, is that like a a product of the culture in the sense that like these artists were brought to the top and this style of art was brought to the top as a nature of the users or the other way around. Yeah. I mean, I don't have an answer to that, but I do think that there's a, 
something interesting about 8-bit and 16-bit art and also like mm-hmm. hand-drawn comic like line drawings I mean, you know you if you watch toy story it doesn't look good great movie right. doesn't look good but if you watch pinocchio which i think was made in like the 30s it holds up right like there's a certain timelessness to enforced artificiality and like right. comic book aesthetics they can never go out of style because they're not attempting realism right they're they're anti the newest tech 3d is always going to be limited by whatever's the newest or whatever's the most like bleeding edge um exemplification right everything on unreal engine 5 is going to become moot once unreal engine 6 comes out and so on and so forth right right? so having any kind of like there's no um interest in realism on solana anywhere it seems to me there's some photographs but like there's not no photo realism or real interest in photo realism um I don't know, but maybe that's like there's that's art in general. Um, Honestly, I'm not I'm not the most familiar in the art space, but do you think there's it comes down to kind of like what we were talking on before, in that like the the depth of Solana, in that like the typical art collector on Solana, I'm guessing is also an NF, PFP NFT collector, whereas like they haven't reached those users, that user base, that that artist base of like being able to to get to that next level depth of mm-hmm. artistry that that you see on ethereum I, so i wasn't here for this but i was told just I, I think it's just before we came into the nft world right i believe it was like the summer of 2020 there was a boom in 3d art on ethereum mm-hmm. and an artist named coldy was talking about this he used um the expression of like 3d bouncing balls right. basically to just say that, like they were it was just 3d objects but there was this like run on 3d objects everyone was making 3d art or mm-hmm. rather everyone was buying 3d art and anything that was 3d art was just being eaten up. And like, there's this idea of the, the astronaut, which was a symbol that I think preceded me a little bit, but like these 3d representations of astronauts were everywhere mm-hmm. um, for just this, you know, one like aesthetic moment, you know, again, I think the thing with Solana is like the length, right? There hasn't been an opportunity for a second aesthetic moment to kind of come out because there hasn't been a consolidation of aesthetics and then an explosion outwards of aesthetics. There's just kind of been this one moment and all of the projects that are still kind of like trying to survive now, well, most of them were there from the very beginning. So you have your, your um, sorry, sporadic pixel art. You have your sporadic, like 3d art, you have your sporadic um, like comic drawings, but it's all in the same kind of, I don't know, generalized style. There's been no pushback, right? There's been no response. Um, But I'm also not sure that Solana is as interested in its own aesthetics as Ethereum is. Yeah, and, and it'll be interesting, ideally, if Solana is around for for another boom, if if that's the moment where it's able to kind of like spread out a bit more, right? Because like mm-hmm. in its first boom, I would I would guess more people coming into it are like focused on capturing momentum right now in this explosion. Because yeah this is a moment that might not come back ever again. Whereas mm-hmm. Ethereum, I think has been around long enough where you're like, okay, I, I know if I build a user base on this chain, I know it's going to be there 10 years. Well, it's like, we, we also can't escape the influence of the board apes and right. But the board apes came into an ecosystem that already had waves and waves of aesthetics previously, whereas yep. Solana was the NFT world was created in the shadow of that. And exactly. You know, I feel like I talk about board apes in this podcast every week, but there's really no way to, overstate the effect that that audience and that those aesthetics and that symbology had on the blockchains at large. I remember there was like 
was it near that blockchain developed and there was an NFT scene. It was just like, that was a copy of Solana, which itself was a copy of like that initial summer in the PFPs on, um, on Ethereum, right. With the right. doodles and the, the cryptodes and the board apes. And like, it's just these, these like looming shadows and these other things kind of being built in the, in the shadow of those towering objects. And yeah. there's been no, maybe there's no attempt, but there's also perhaps been no ability to, move outside of those shadows because like where else are you going to go you're looking for a piece of that same cultural impact right yeah exactly that and i know it's something we've talked about before but like this idea of like i think this scomorphic behavior which is like doing things that are you have like already a a, a basis for and like a a relative understanding of so like i can understand like pfps like coming into Solana before any NFTs went off on Solana, like I can understand Bored Apes on Solana or something similar to Bored Apes on Solana. It's a lot harder to kind of like jump a couple steps further without having mm -hmm. that like something relative to related to. And I think that goes back to this idea of like, at least early on being in the shadow of Ethereum because so many things built on Solana were kind of like rebuilt things on Ethereum. And I think especially now post FTX collapse and obviously the effect it's had on Solana, like there's been more of an emphasis, I think within the Solana community to in this idea of only possible on Solana and mm -hmm. do things that are only possible on Solana, whether that's the type of art that you're able to create, the, the exposure you're able to get, the distribution of it in things like um, Drip House, which I know we've also talked about, um, but, but it's, it's kind of like. Drip House for those of you that don't know is a, um, it's a service or I guess a, a project on Solana that um, you can blast NFTs out to whoever signs up. So it's like free NFT delivery, more or less on like a semi-regular basis. Yeah. Uh, really interesting idea. I want to finish your point on, I want to come back to that in a sec. Cause I'm glad you brought that up. No, 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 definitely. So I, I think, I think Solana's now post FTX and like now that it's kind of like the people that are left are really just like the core Solana users the 75 builders left exactly the 75 builders left are are now forced to focus on and kind of like the 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 money the the effort is most well spent in building things that are only possible on solana because the goal is to to bring in new users to this rather than try and just capture part of what the pie already is like we talked about before sure so i, I come back to this point i feel like every week uh, yeah. with colborn um but he's helping to launch this project called zero one, which is basically like trying to remove scarcity from the equation of like digital assets. Something I think about all the time is that uh, I mentioned this last week with uh, Andre Siegelboim was visual artistry has an issue in that it is scarce by nature, writing, narrative art, theater. It all wants to be experienced by as many people as possible. And it gets its value from, publicity it gets its value from being expansive whereas so much of the art i mean pfp projects at ten thousand or less um pieces or artworks being one of ones or like small additions like the goal is the ingrained value of the thing but it's almost anti-publicity because it's not designed to be shared it's designed to be held on to um yeah. and derived from these like derive value from these secondary metrics that are a lot harder to kind of pin down i love what drip house is doing because it does kind of it has no interest in, in, in scarcity. It yep. seems interesting that you would have this pushback on, uh, you know, NFTs, which were originally like crypto or it was originally like rare digital art, like right. taking the rarity out of the equation and just having people be plied with these assets. I mean, 
Do you think that there's a, a fear here about like digital clutter? Like what is the purpose of holding a digital asset that you didn't decide your relationship on specifically and that you, I don't know, is not amassing value for you? It's definitely an interesting question. I think, I think a, a piece of it comes back to kind of like where incentives are aligned in how the ecosystem looks now. Right. Because mm-hmm. like you said, like why 10,000, why, why scarcity? Why? Like most of the users, the, the thing that they're here for, or at least a large chunk of them is this idea of speculation and there's no better way for speculation than making something super rare and hard to price. Mm-hmm. And super rare. Yeah, super rare. And with that, I think that's almost pushed things that do that to the pedestal. And when you do that, there are more things that come after it that also go up to that pedestal. It's like the idea of buying a fucking first edition book. Right. It's literally the same book. Literally the same book. And and I think there will be a time when this digital scarcity is just a niche part of the market instead of the whole market itself. There are so many benefits that blockchain brings to like consumption and tech as we know it. And it's unfortunate, but also makes sense to an extent why scarcity has been the number one use case thus far. Mm -hmm. Uh, But like we're seeing with things like drip house where they're getting at this exact idea that you were getting at in that kind of like the more eyes and the, the, the mass consumption, the whole, there's specific types of art that the more people that see it, the more valuable it is. Um, So it's an interesting dynamic. And I think it takes creators coming up with those use cases and on the same side, builders building out the tech for those use cases to be able to kind of like reach the masses and, and, and put this on its head to a new use case. That's only possible without scarcity because scarcity is only one top one piece of blockchain um, that makes it valuable. Yeah. And I, and I suppose it's also like kind of a, a reductive, sorry, a reductive point because it's like, well, what's the point of watching half of a, you know, 20 minutes of the second Pirates of the Caribbean movie on HBO. Right. It's like, well, there doesn't have to be a point, right? It's just experience this experiencing, experiencing this thing, right? If there's no issue in amassing it, right? If like drip house for existence, this is going to send you NFTs to your wallet and you're going to look at it, maybe not like benefit in any great way, but it hasn't taken in uh, any specific um, investment of value. Then what's, what's the negative to being exposed to another piece of content another piece of entertainment another piece of art however it's positing itself it's like why flip channels why you know watch an inning of a baseball game i, I don't have answers to those questions but it's you you want to there's nothing wrong with it you want yeah. something to fill your time it might as well be something that like is beautiful or has been put together under really strict guidelines like you're saying like another form of just like passive content for us to consume and for many people I mean, I'd say myself included, like prior to crypto, I was, would not consider myself to be knowledgeable at all on any sort of art ever. And I consider myself less knowledgeable on art now that I've started writing for the museum. Um, But now I, I had that exposure and have found, I'm definitely still very early on the learning curve, but have found things that I do enjoy within the art world that I never would have had exposure to before. And I think this, this idea of, passive content that you're still able to own and I opt into receiving, there's still some value in it. And it's similar to exactly like you said, flipping the channels on TV. I am. Um, I want to just hit two 
questions quickly, um, yep. which we can get to, you know, in just a few minutes. Um, versus AI. Yep. Why have there been no AI overtures on Solana? There's a ton of AI stuff on Ethereum and there's a ton of like algorithmic and generative stuff on uh, Tezos. But while there, that stuff exists on Solana, it does not seem to have made a cultural dent. Why do you think that is? It's weird. Yeah, honestly, I'm, I wish I had an answer for you because it, it does seem like, like it would be a strong fit with the culture. Um, it, it, when, I mean, so TBD I mean, it. Yeah, I think one aspect of it is like when 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 do you feel like AI took over within the ETH world? Uh, well, it's been there for a while because I think you can make the argument that all generative art and all yeah. algorithmic art is AI in a sense. But like this, I think new wave of art that says I am AI art. Yeah, I mean that's been probably the last year or so. I mean Claire Silver is like a, a big artist who popularized it, and like Quasimondo, uh, Mario Klingman is another who like self-identified as AI artists and at least Claire, I think started in 2021 Quasimodo has been doing it for quite a bit longer, but yeah. when it like started to gain popularity and when people started to like argue about it, I think was probably like early this year, but it would have been introduced to all these ecosystems at the same time. Everyone would have had equal opportunity to like look at, you know, this new wave of at least attention to AI that chat GPT kind of um, sure. engendered. Honestly, I would think an aspect of it is just, there aren't, there aren't as many art enjoyers on Solana to now add to their like portfolio in a way, AI art. Like if there's 10,000 people on Ethereum enjoying art and you bring an AI, you'll probably good chances. You'll find a hundred core users that love it to death. Whereas mm -hmm. on Solana, especially this past year, this past couple of months, closer to a thousand, it's tougher to find that hundred core users that are going to love this product and further it along, which is kind of, Kind of one of the biggest biggest benefits of Ethereum and why why it is so successful. Yeah. Okay. And last question, and I don't have an answer for this. It's just a topic that's really interesting: is minting NFTs on Bitcoin. Yep. So before, like the last, I don't know, six months or so, that was really the rare Pepe's world, oh, so right? It was like it's inscribing ordinals, not minting. Inscribing NFTs. ordinals on Bitcoin. Thank you. Um, I've heard those words a lot and I wasn't sure what it meant. I uh, thought it had some like special kind of like a mystic witchy connotation, but regardless, maybe they do. Um, it was the rare Pepe's that were the first, they those were like Bitcoin NFTs and they were made for Bitcoin. There was a project by uh, um, an artist named Sarah Mahoyas called Bitcoin that took place, I think predominantly or at least partially on Bitcoin um, back in 2016. But it seems like there was this gap and then suddenly people became interested in NFTs on Bitcoin. But I think similarly to how like AI as a cultural touchstone emerge atop all these blockchains at the same time, the idea of inscribing ordinals on Bitcoin kind of appeared all at the same time. And so you have there this kind of hodgepodge of different blockchains and different cultures. There's generative stuff. There's PFP projects that just ported themselves over for no apparent reason. Like there is a possibility. I don't think it's there yet. Um, I know it's, I believe it's very slow, very expensive. There's a finite amount of actual space, but yeah. it seems like Bitcoin has this potential to end up being this kind of like cultural meeting place, which is ironic for the slowest, clunkiest and least useful blockchain yep. that it would be this like meeting place where aesthetic cultures from all these different chains would kind of meet. What do you think? Do you, I just, I think it's so interesting. <laughs> that's no, 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 that's, and I would agree. And I think I came at it with a similar mindset that like you described when I first learned of it and this idea of like 
there are no benefit. Like all the, things, <laughs> all the experience of everything you're going to do on there is objectively worse. It's like more expensive. There's not that many users. It's there's the finite space. It's difficult to get around. But when it comes, it's a publicity to, stunt. Exactly. Like it, it's all just one big publicity stunt to suck out liquidity and then eventually dump on everyone who went into it. Like Yuga Labs with their 300-piece Bitcoin ordinal generative project that looked like shit to begin with, and then nobody liked it, and now nobody talks about it. It's just like huge publicity miss. Right. Go on. But, but like at the end of the day, going back to what we started off the conversation with, like one of the most important things to NFTs, art, culture in general, is this idea of historical provenance and this mm-hmm. idea of not being able to like change the history and the mutabilityness of it and all those ideals that go behind it. And when you look at it from that perspective, how can you beat Bitcoin in that way? Right? Well, you can't be Bitcoin, but inscribing ordinals on Bitcoin is silly because people have already done it. So the provenance no longer matters. B, at least in the aesthetic world, nobody cares about the first. Warhol wasn't the first pop artist. Dali wasn't the first surrealist. Monet wasn't the first impressionist. Like that this stops mattering after a certain time horizon. So Bitcoin itself is the provenance, but the NFTs on Bitcoin, the provenance is now done. To an extent, yes, but when you can order- It's like, it, when, it's like when people were buying those like ENS name addresses and they're like, oh, you have to have one of the, there's only 99,999 yeah. five digit ENS addresses. And yeah. like, that's a really compelling argument until you sit down and you think about it for five seconds and you're like, but- is anybody going to want 88,722.ens? You're like, probably not. Right. But if everyone in the world ends up with an ENS domain, then probably. Like, that's what you're making a bet on, right? And although I don't think that's going to be the case, like, <laughs> everything's worth what someone's willing to pay for, right? And it's all, again, comes back to this idea that we're just speculating. I think the interesting thing about ordinals is like this idea of like that which isn't on Solana or ETH that like they're numbered, right? Where it's like, I know that my ordinal is within the first thousand or 10,000 or a hundred thousand. And it kind of just like creates this new element of provenance in that I know I was one of the first, like, I'd be interested to know if you can't be one of the first anymore. How many first do you get to be? You, the, the Being the first 500,000 people to do something is not interesting. Being the first hundred is interesting. Like, but you know, it's like, being we're now we're now incrementally past where first is interesting and it's now just like pushing outwards and pushing outwards i promise a million people are not going to give a shit about ordinals on bitcoin at any point so being in the first nine hundred and fifty thousand is like i don't know like yeah and if you in the grand scheme of the whole you know population of earth that matters but but that's the thing it's all it's it's all a bet on the fact that more than that hundreds of millions of people will care about this or that they'll at least know about it. Whereas like if they can't afford it, like they want one. Right. And I think mm-hmm. that's the case of everything in crypto. Everything. Like, all of this is worthless. If there are, isn't mass adoption at any point, like mm-hmm. not worthless by any means, but wow. all of this, all of these, you know, this is an art podcast, like, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, All of the, all of these valuations are inflated. If we never took you 56 before. minutes to tell all these people that their art is worthless. If <laughs> gonna pay for it. Uh, but, but, in reality, all these tokens, there's millions of them and there's millions created every single day and, and none of them will ever be able to live up to their worth. Like we're, mm-hmm. we're all betting on this future use case that's going to come and this future usability. And if it never comes, then none of it makes any sense. You know, I, I will say that 
it does. I sometimes do need to remind myself that my art specifically is worthless, right. not just because nobody's going to pay for it, but because it's worthless to begin with. And that's a big pressure. Yeah. It's a big load off my shoulders. When yeah. I stop thinking that like the things that I create, because I'm inspired to create, I'm not being like a dick. Like I actually believe this. Like when you think that your art is really valuable, it's really hard to make art because you feel like you're, there's like real essentiality in place in uh, what you're creating. So Thank you for I feel like that we've, permission. We've, we've come full circle on what what our friendship is, and me trying to tell you that there's no value in our friendship unless exactly. this podcast does well and people will yeah. <laughs> subscribe to it. So please subscribe to this podcast so that <laughs> Jake and I can continue to be friends. Um, any last comments you want to make, my guy? No, other than thanks for thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure. And we saved the uh, terrible sirens in the background until the very end. Sorry so. about that. Very nice. Well, I have to have you back on uh, during basketball season because I like to end these podcasts with a discussion with the Celtics. But um, I saw today they were they have the highest win total for uh, the Eastern Conference. Don't do this to me. You don't you don't want to you don't want to start this. No high expectations already. Yeah. Well, they've been the you know betting favorites to win the title for two years. You know how many titles they've got. That was also when they had Jalen Brown. Okay, we're going to end this podcast now before I start to cry. Uh, this has been another lovely edition of the Mocha, uh, hopefully a lovely edition. It's definitely been another edition, perhaps it was lovely, of the Mocha Live podcast. Thank you, Jake, for coming on and being the guest today. Uh, we'll be back next week, 5 p.m. EST, same bat time, same bat channel. Please uh, be safe and um, tell the people you love that you love them. I love you, Jake. Love you too, Max. Ah, got you on the record. All right, goodbye, everybody. This podcast was produced by me, Max Cohen. It featured intro music by Dayfox, as well as theme music by Julian Brangold.